Chris Watts still has a fan club. Brian Koberger goes to court. Grand juror names are released in the Trump-Georgia matter. That's a big no-no. Rex Heuerman could have been a suspect 10 years ago if the police had actually followed up on a lead. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day, right here from Colorado. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. That's right. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment. Hit that bell. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Now, let's go ahead and get straight to the docket for August 18th, 2023. And the first case on the docket is Chris Watts. Remember him? That's right. Chris Watts was the reason we started this channel. I was so frustrated by the news coverage and the people that were on the news that didn't know the difference between an arraignment and a preliminary hearing, trying to tell the world what was actually going on in a particular case, let alone a case where the man annihilated his family. And so let's face it, during the Watts case, there were a lot of hucksters out there who had a bunch of crazy theories about the case, many of which were so far-fetched they shouldn't even or weren't even worthy of repeating. We even had Sherilyn Cadle on the program, which was one of the more bizarre interviews I'd ever done. She wouldn't show her face. She would have like half of her face and the rest of her ceiling showing. Well, she's appearing on an episode of a, a show called Cellmate Secrets and is retelling her experience and her exchanges with Chris Watts. Now, Ms. Cadle has said that the murders were premeditated and that Chris Watts told her from behind bars that he did it. Duh. She says that he told me he would daydream about killing Shanann, according to Cadle, and that she would be yelling at him, referring to Shanann, and uh, he would get upset about something and he wouldn't fight back. He would just stand there and daydream about what it would be like to kill her. Now, Cadle says that when she first saw an interview of him, uh, she felt some sort of uh, something that she had to speak with him. And it was like a calling, so she contacted him to see if sh he would share his story with her. And like I said, Cadle believed that he's guilty, he believed it when she reached out to him, and wanted to see if she would, in fact, uh, have him tell the story. So, as a lot of people know about this case, she wrote a book about it, about some letters, and ultimately Watts replies to uh, Cadle, uh, basically with the third letter that she wrote back in 2019. Um, and basically Cadle says that he was receptive. Uh, he said that God told him to respond to her letter uh, because, you know, as a mother and a grandmother, he didn't feel any kind of threat from her. So he then sent a 12-page letter outlining details of each murder. And, well, there you have it. Cato says that she broke down and started bawling, and uh, she cried and cried and just couldn't believe what he did to those little girls. She said it was a real shock. Okay. Anyway, she said that she knew in her heart uh, that there was a real reason, a true that was a true confession to her, and that uh, he said he planned it right away. It was premeditated, and he wanted to clear the slate. That's why he confessed. So... There you go. Not much else as it relates to that. But the reality of it is, is, well, Chris Watts is in prison. He's going to be there 
forever. But guess what? That means he's also still going to get letters. He has a lot of fan mail from women who are sending him pictures of themselves in scantily clad clothing and stating that they love him. And I've talked about this before. I really don't understand how somebody that can, you know, basically kill their family or kill other people like that. And somebody says, ah, you're just a great guy. You're just misunderstood. If I was with you, this never would have happened. Well, there's never going to be any real relationship here, which I think really calls into question the mental health of the people on the outside going in. So there you go with that. But like I said, Chris Watts, he still has a bunch of fan clubs. People are still sending photos. They're still saying they love him. I don't get it. There's people that actually believe that he's innocent. Let's face it. He killed Shanahan after she came home from her business trap back in 2018. He strangled her in bed, put her body and their two daughters in the truck and drove this to this storage tank, this petroleum storage tank where he worked. He buried his wife in a shallow grave and then he smothered his two daughters and placed their tiny little bodies in the storage tanks. And then Watts went on for two days to claim that he had nothing to do with his family's disappearance and actually had the gall to go on TV and plead for his family to come home knowing full well that they were not. Like I said, after his arrest, he he initially claimed that Shanann was killed, uh, that she had killed the girls, and that um, he told her he, he wanted a separation and uh, that he had then strangled her in anger. The stories kept changing. Now, he pled guilty to avoid the death penalty, which we abolished here in Colorado. There's been talk that he was going to file post-conviction relief to withdraw his guilty plea. He's not. We had a show where we've read the transcript. People thought he was going to withdraw his guilty plea. He's not. We have an episode of it. The only thing I wish the judge would have done better was, hey, Mr. Watts, tell me in your own words what you did. You killed your pregnant wife and your two young children. So like I said, he is serving five life sentences plus 48 years in prison without the possibility of parole up there in Wisconsin so that... uh, I don't know, I guess he's too high profile for here. They think he'd be a target here. I'm sure he'd be a target there. That's a maximum security prison where he's been uh, residing and he's working as a custodian. Very nice, very nice. And don't get me wrong, even though the Watts case helped this channel get going, it'd be nice if he just kind of went away. I'm, I, I really mean that. Um, some things you just gotta let go. Anyway, on to the next new case, Brian Koberger. That's right. Brian Koberger's back in court literally as we film this for yet another pretrial hearing uh, in regards, obviously, to the killing of four college students there in Moscow, Idaho. Now, the judge is set to consider two motions from the defense and four uh, from the state in the pretrial hearing for Mr. Koberger. Those motions would determine whether a trial will be delayed. Uh, trial is currently set for October 2nd. The hearing is not streamed, though a judge ruled that the victim's families um, and Mr. Koberger's family could watch remotely if they could not appear in person. Now, there's still the defense motion to dismiss the indictment on grounds of error in the grand jury instructions and the procedures. That'll be heard. That'll be denied. Koberger's um, defense team has said that Mr. Koberger was out driving. The prosecution wants more specificity as to where he was driving. And probably the most important issue is the defense is asking for the three other DNA profiles that were apparently developed. 
The prosecutor is saying, no, you're not getting anything because it doesn't exist. But they say they'll go back and double check. The defense is also saying that the way that the prosecution went about obtaining the genealogical DNA that ultimately led to Brian Koberger should not be allowed in. Hopefully we will have some news, but as of right now, the court has not ruled on those, at least as far as we can find out. Next in the docket, did the cops let Rex Hureman get away for some 13 years? That's right. The alleged Giglio Beach serial killer Rex Hureman possibly could have been arrested as early as 2010, roughly 13 years before his ultimate arrest, if the police had considered the statements by a guy of the name of Dave Schaller. Now, Mr. Schaller um, is appearing in a documentary, and he states that the police missed his statement and basically says that uh, one of the victims was a roommate of his, Amber Costello. And back in 2010, Amber was a sex worker and had an encounter with a man at her home. He was paying for a lap dance. And shortly after he arrived, Amber called Dave, the guy in the documentary, telling him that the man was attempting to assault her. Dave quickly returned back home, walked in the door, and says he saw a giant of a man, a guy about six foot five, standing quite ominously in the living room. Dave told the dude to leave. The guy refused. Dave ended up grabbing the big guy, trying to get him out, and a fight ensued. Eventually, the guy ultimately left in what uh, Dave says was either a green or black Chevy Avalanche. Hmm, who drives one of those? That's right, Mr. Hewerman. Well, as the story continues, Amber had an appointment with a man a month later and never returned home. She went missing. And as soon as she went missing, Dave said that he knew it was the same man who was there a month earlier. Now, Dave says Amber needed the money, so she took the chance on doing adult sex work. Now, after Amber's body was found, Dave was interviewed by police, and he told them the story, describing the man in great detail, right down to his beady-ass eyes, he describes. And he followed up two more times with the police to see if they had chased down any leads. That's right. So had cops run possibly the registration for anyone in the Long Island area who had a green or black avalanche? Can't imagine there were that many. Perhaps Mr. Hewerman would have shown up, let alone maybe finding a guy that drove an avalanche that was about six foot five. Fits that general description. Who does that sound like? Mr. Hewerman. And they could have driven by his house to see if it was him because guess what? He parked it out front of his house. Next on the docket, somebody in Georgia is going to get in trouble. That's right. I'm talking about the Trump case down in Georgia. Law enforcement officials are investigating threats targeting members of the grand jury that indicted the former president and 18 of his closest friends after names and addresses were leaked online. Now, investigators are apparently working to try to find out what the heck happened and track down the threats. And now I agree, no one should be threatened, no juror, whether it's a grand juror or a petite juror, it's just the way it should be. The real issue here is, and I'm not sure anybody gets it, is, is who leaked the grand jurors' names? Only the court and the district attorney would know the grand jurors' names. The defense never even gets the grand jurors' names. Somebody at the courthouse screwed up. They should be fired. 
And yes, I agree, no one should be threatened for doing their public service duty. But I'd just like to see somebody get fired in government that screws up just once, just, just one time. Maybe it was the same person that put the indictment up before it was even signed by the grand jury. Maybe it's that same person. All right, next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day. A United Airlines pilot has been charged in somewhat of an odd axe attack uh, earlier this month in which he savaged a parking arm at the Denver International Airport. That's in the employee parking lot, causing roughly $700 in damage. Now, the police allege that a guy by the name of Kenneth Henderson Jones told them he just hit his breaking point. Haven't we all been there? So back on August 2nd, the 63-year-old pilot, armed with a full-sized axe, chopped the parking arm of the exit gate of the employee parking lot some 23 times until it ultimately came off. At that point, there was a little bit of a scuffle between Mr. Jones and some employee people who tried to take the axe away. Uh, He walked away and ultimately surrendered um, a little bit uh, later uh, when the police arrived. Airport administration describes the physical struggle with their employees as uh, no big deal, no injuries. And according to the police report, Mr. Jones said he was trying to leave, but there were six cars in line at each of the three exit gates. You know how it is, waiting for that arm to go up. It just, Well, apparently there's been a lot of issues with people that get into the lot that don't have the proper permits and can't get out and slows everything up. And I get it. He just lost it. And he was just trying to get rid of the issue that was holding everybody up. So he just grabbed an axe that he just happened to have in his car and chopped it up. I get it, Mr. Jones. I'm with you. I say chop up all of those parking barricades. You shouldn't have to pay for parking, okay? I get it. I get it, Mr. Jones. I'm with you there. You don't build a building and say, come patronize my business and then charge for parking. There should be a law against that or something. Now I get our dumb criminal, I feel for him. Some of them are just stupid. I think this guy was just having a really bad day, but at least he didn't have a really bad day when he was flying a jet at 41,000 feet and to use his words, just lost it. So Mr. Jones, maybe it's time to just take a little break, take a deep breath, a little namaste, let it go. I'm not sure this is really what you were hoping for, but hey, if you got trouble, you know, call me. We'll try to help you out. Thanks for watching. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I'm going to be in trial next week, so we'll play it by ear as to whether we do a show next week or not. Frankly, it just depends on how the trial goes. So thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk. Crime Talk.